Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, coming to you from San Francisco, California. People who create, people who make a difference. And uh, another very big week of changes for the show. But you know what? Before I go into that, I'm going to go over to Facebook because as those of you who watched last week know, there were some sound issues. So I want to make sure I can hear myself. And then, okay, I hear myself on the real Facebook, so I'm going to get out of that. And uh, again, as I said a million times last week, I have no idea what went wrong with the sound. So anyway, just wanted to make sure that didn't happen again. As I started to say, uh, if, if Word will come back up and I can read my notes, uh, I was just going to say that it's been a really big, a week of really big changes here at, at uh, Matthew Felix On Air. I've had a lot of, uh, hold on, I can't do this until Word comes back up. See, this is what I was getting ready to say as I've had a lot of technical issues. Um, but no, I was just going to say that, yeah, it's just been a, a week of, of really big changes while Word's coming up. I think I can speak to this part without, um, without the, the Word doc. But um, setting up the studio, painting, getting all the lights set up, the camera angle set up, just a whole bunch of technical stuff behind the scenes that's obviously all new to me, and some of it's going well and some of it's not. Um, the good news is we've got Word back up. It seems all right. Okay, we can, we can go full speed ahead. Um, I was also recovering, though, from a hacker. I had to change all of my passwords this week. I had to, uh, after I got the computer back from Apple, it was worse off, much worse off than it was before I dropped it off. So the past 24 hours, I've been scrambling with a, not a, a lot of issues that, like I said, are all new to me. But uh, all that notwithstanding, here we are. And I do want to say that I was able to get last week's episode onto YouTube. And it's still on Facebook, and it's also up on iTunes and Google. And that episode is uh, was my inaugural episode here on Facebook Live. And uh, I was interviewed by Aaron Byrne, author, filmmaker, and Lit Wings founder. We had a great time, uh, so please check that out. You can search for Matthew Felix or just go to my website, MatthewFelix.com, for links to that. All right, so we have talked about enough other things, and now that things are up and running, I want to introduce my guest today, who I am really excited to have in the studio. Uh, her name is Jane Carlton, and uh, she has a BA in psychology from the University of California at Berkeley, and an MA in consciousness and transformative studies, as well as a graduate certificate in dream studies from John F. Kennedy University. She has taught graduate-level courses on dreams, the imagination, and synchronicity at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, and she is a presenting member of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. Jane is also a regional teacher in dream expert Robert Moss's School of Active Dreaming and a contributor to Chicken Soup for the Soul, Dreams and Premonitions, as well as Rebirths, Conversations with a World in Sold, and she's also written articles for inspired-bali.com. In addition to the work she does related to dreams, Jane is a professional gemologist and fine jewelry appraiser, as well as an ordained minister. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. Hi, Matthew. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for putting up with, uh, with those technical issues at the beginning. Like I said, that's... Uh, there's still so much to figure out here, but it is it is coming together. But let's talk. Let's just jump right into uh, to dreams. So, why dreams? You know, what drew you um, to not only study them but really make them a big part of one of the main focuses of of your life work? Ooh, <clears throat> pardon. That's a great question. Uh, dreams have changed my life for the better. 
I've transformed uh, various parts of my life that needed healing directly through dreams. And I've been a dreamer all of my life. I started dream journals when I was a teenager. And um, by keeping dream journals, I saw how I uh, sometimes dream the future. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that dreams will help me navigate my life. But in general, you know, the biggest thing for me about dreams is, you know, we live in, in this world and we have our to-do list and we have our everyday life, in, which is more the mundane life. And dreams, actually, when you start paying attention to your dreams, at least when I pay attention to mine, it brings magic into my life. And so when life starts getting a little bit mundane, I, you know, I'll ask for an interesting dream and pretty soon one will show up and it just it just brings more juice to life. So, yeah. yeah. So you touched on a few things there that I definitely want to get into mm -hmm. in more detail in a bit. You know, one is premonitions. One is this whole idea of bringing some magic into our lives because um, I've, I've had premonitions in my dreams as well. So I want to talk about that a little later. But um, one thing that you said specific, and this is on your website, I'm going to quote your website a few times here um, because you said some, some great stuff. But one thing or one quote that I got from there was, dreams in my imagination helped me get through tough times by showing me something larger than my circumstances. So I thought that was really beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit about what you meant by that? <sighs> Wow. We're going we're gonna to yeah. go deep fast. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and, and <laughs> gratefully, I felt some beautiful, strong emotion when you said that. And um, that's what dreaming is about. It's, going, it's connecting with our deep selves. So uh, I appreciate that question. Um, hmm. Well, I, I would say there are times in life when we don't realize that there is something that's ripe for healing. And no matter who you are, as you move through life, there, you're going to get bumps and bruises along the way. And so in my life, personally, dreams have shown up to uh, point out areas that I needed healing. And one area in spe uh, specific that is really important to me was um, when I first started paying attention to dreams and, and realized that uh, there is a way of working with dreams that we're not just subject to the whims of our dreams with nothing that we can do about them. I uh, realized when I had my first five-day workshop with Robert Moss at Esalen in Big Sur, um, I came away from a dream workshop where I, it was a five-day retreat, I healed the father-daughter wound. I was in my 40s, and I carried anger and resentment and uh, a lot of pain that wasn't serving me. And at the end of that five days of digging into dreams in active ways, I came away completely healed of the charge that I felt around my father. That is mm -hmm. uh, no small accomplishment, no small effect of, of that dream work. And that was the first time that you had done that sort of dream work. Was it this, this workshop? Yes, absolutely. And I, I went there with the intention of working on some other, other things that were happening in my life. And so the surprise was my father had passed many years before the surprise was that he kept showing up in the various, uh, activities that we did as far as using the imagination and shamanic journeying to go into the dream worlds. So he kept showing up and last thing I was expecting, last thing I thought I really needed to heal actually. Well that's, 
that's a really interesting point because one thing that I noticed in my, so I, I should, I guess, um, disclose is too strong a term, but th I, that's how I got into dream work as well is through the five day workshop at Esalen. And we were not at the same five day workshop at Esalen, but, um, with Robert. And, uh, it was interesting because I wasn't even looking for a dream workshop. And, um, but that's, that's a whole other story. The reason I bring that up or, or what I wanted to say in regards to your point was what I learned very quickly through the dream work is that, and, and what for me lent a lot of credence to it is because it, particularly when I was new to it is it did bring up a lot of stuff that I didn't think I didn't, I wasn't aware of, of being there. I didn't realize I had to work on. I didn't maybe realize was again, just kind of, um, back there needing some sort of attention and, and so when the dream work started showing me things like that, you know, I mean, the father-daughter relationship and you, you didn't even realize you needed to maybe work on it at the time, like you said, um, to me, that just really spoke to, to the power of, of this kind of work. And we're going to get into some of the specifics of, of some of the methodologies and things in a little bit. But let's take um, a broad step back because there's so much good specific, specific stuff there that I want to get into. But let's talk about um, just at a higher level. What's a dream? <laughs> That's a loaded question. But, but you know, I mean, because I think it's really easy. Um, you know, we all have dreams, so we all know what we are. But for someone who studies dreams, and I know that you've studied not only from, because you have a psychology degree, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you've studied it from a traditional Western perspective, but then you've also done the shamanic work. Um, and then I know that, you know, when you were in Bali, you, you studied with another healer who was probably also a shaman, but in a different tradition. They're called, he was called, he's a Balian, which is a traditional healer in okay. Bali. Yeah. Which right. is essentially a shaman. Right. Yeah. So point being, you have studied dreams from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I kind of wanted to throw that question at you. You know how, and maybe you can't offer, maybe there's not one definition, but I'm curious what your response would be to that. You know, what is a yeah, dream? That's a great question, too. Um, so most people, when you when many people talk to me, the first thing they think about is that a dream is something that happens spontaneously while we're sleeping, usually at night, maybe during a nap time. Um, and so, yes, that is one form of dreaming. But dreams also include uh, imagination, reverie, spacing out, fantasy, uh, meaningful coincidences or synchronicities, um, inner voice experiences, any, any level of consciousness that we're at where we're, even, even our everyday waking, waking consciousness as we move through the world, that's a form of a dream too. Mm -hmm. But I'm particularly interested in those levels of dreaming where we are engaging with a, uh, other layers of ourselves in a less typical everyday way. Okay. Can you elaborate on that a little? Mm, <laughs> sure. Um, so one of the ways that I have been served in my life uh, by my dreams have been every now and then a, a inner voice experience has shown up and the times that it has shown up in my life, it's been actually uh, to rescue me from some kind of a circumstance that was a challenging circumstance. Uh, <clears throat> one time that was particularly noteworthy for me was when I was 19, there was a man who uh, carjacked me. 
oh, and wow. jumped in the back of my car, had a knife, and oh, wow. asked me to, well, ordered me to turn on the car and drive him around. And he didn't hurt me, but he did rob me. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he got in my car, my first response was, who the hell are you? Get the hell out of my car, you know. Uh, and then I realized that he had me by the neck and he was squeezing tight and I had better uh, pay attention. So... So he started asking me where I lived, and um, I was, you know, of course, as you can imagine, in a panic state, uh, and I heard this voice. It sounded like a non-gender, calm voice, matter of fact, and it just said, lie. Mm. And so I started telling this big lie, and, and essentially, uh, the, that was pretty much what the voice said. And so I started making up stories about living in San Francisco, which I didn't live in San Francisco then. And, be, and, I, and, and something about the calmness of that voice allowed me to tap into a deeper part of myself that could help me uh, navigate this situation right. without freaking out. Right. And so, you know, I did. It, we, he wasn't in my car for a long time. He drove, had me drive him around for a little while jumped out of my car, Rob grabbed grabbed something from the car and jumped out and started running away. Right. So that was the first time that voice came. So that that's something what is that? What is that? I don't know what that is, but I have done some research on inner voice experiences and I'm really intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. Now, another time when once when I was getting divorced, that same voice showed up. I was really sad. I'd say pretty darn depressed. Uh, I was working at a store at the time. I was in the elevator going up, you know, in the elevator. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? I'm so lonely. How am I going to make it? Uh, you know, and the voice, I, I'm alone in the elevator and I hear this voice and it sounded like it was coming from outside on the left side of my body, not even within me. Same voice. Yep. And it said, matter of fact, very calmly. You always have yourself. And then, uh, you know, it just it just gave me that little bit of a tweak in my emotional state that I never forgot that. It was like, yeah, I do always have myself, you right, know. Right. So that, that's one type of a dream experience. We don't know where these things come from, but they'll show up for us. So if we pay attention to our imaginings and our and and including, you know, maybe Maybe you're out and about in the day and you've got a you've got something you're thinking about or digesting or mulling over and a thought comes. That to me, I would call that a dream. Anything that is taking you out of your everyday. And making you aware of something potentially greater or some changing your perspective, giving you insight. I mean that's that's kind of when you say taking taking you out of your day to day, I'm just yeah. So I think I, I think the the most important word for that is empowerment. Mm-hmm. Dreaming is about self empowerment. It's about learning how to make better decisions in our lives based on information that comes through for us in a variety of ways. You know, um, one of the ways that I access this deeper part of myself is in the shower in the morning. <laughs> when I'm in the shower, there's something, you know, I have things to think about, problems or uh, things I'm puzzling over. I will get, I'll get answers while I'm in the shower. Right. It's kind of hypnotic. It's a, it's a wonderful cleansing experience anyway. 
and so I've learned to, you know, keep a notebook handy for the ideas I get when I'm in the shower. That's a venue for dreaming. Yep. Other people go hiking. I do that too. You know, I, as soon as I, if I'm feeling down, as soon as I get out into the open space and start doing a little hiking, then the thoughts, the deeper, the dreamy, the dream part of me that is a little bit wiser perhaps than mm-hmm. I'm aware of in my everyday life yep. starts peeking through. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk for a second um, because I know a lot of people who aren't familiar with um, this sort of broader definition of dreaming that we're talking about, which is including, you know, the inner voice and the meditative states and, and things like that when we're getting sort of um, what one of my friends calls downloads sometimes of that sort of insight or awareness. But let's talk for, for a couple minutes here just about this quote unquote traditional sleeping dreams, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that I get a lot of questions because my friends and people that I'll meet, you know, um, out and about, sometimes dreams will come up and I'll talk about how I've done the workshops. And so we'll, we'll talk about things. And a lot of questions, the same questions come up a lot. And I'm sure you get this because you, of course, teach um, about dreaming. But uh, one thing is, or one common question is, why do so many people, a lot of people say they don't, they don't dream. Now, of course, we know that all people do dream. But why is it, uh, again, in your studies, um, what, what sort of thoughts do you have about why people don't remember their dreams? Because that comes up a lot whenever I'm, I'm talking. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I have that same question as well because I'll go through periods where I'll remember, you know, it'll just be crazy. My dream journal's just full of, of dreams. And, and I went through one period actually uh, when I was waking up and I had double digit dream, 10, 11, 12 dreams that I can remember. It was taking an hour and sometimes up to two hours to write down my dreams. It was too much. Uh, and I actually tried to stop that. But, but then more recently, the past three months, I've had very, very few dreams. So even myself, someone who has paid a lot more attention and tried to cultivate this, I'm still not exactly clear on how and why, um, how to how to have that recall and and where the memory comes and goes and any any thoughts on that because I'm sure like I said you've got this question a million times <laughs> yes so yeah so when we think about uh, spontaneous sleep dreams which is a huge part of the the study of dreams is and it's actually probably the greatest percentage of of research is done on that um, so. You have to kind of set the stage for your dreaming self to be present for dream recall. So what what's happening is we are dreaming all the time. We're dreaming in various levels of, of sleep during the sleep cycle. There's uh, rapid eye movement sleep, which I, many people have heard of. And it starts as a very s- small uh, five, seven-minute segment of the sleep cycle in the beginning of, of the night. And if you sleep, you know, say an eight-hour night, you go through five sleep cycles typically they're 90 minutes the last little chunk of REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep can be 45 minutes long oh really now REM sleep is always correlated or pretty much most of the time there's always some exception I'm sure correlated with dream sleep so what we call a dream is a memory of an experience we've had while we were sleeping and a dream, what I say, oh, I have a dream, and I write down a dream. What you're doing is you're writing a dream report. You're writing down a memory of an experience that you've had in that state. Other, other sleep states, uh, we also are dreaming. There's various levels of sleep. But the one that gets the most attention, and it seems to be correlated with the most vivid dreaming, is that rapid eye movement. Right. Um, so 
If you wake up and you're really close to that rapid eye movement phase of sleep, you're probably going to remember a dream. But if you wake up and it's 3 a.m. and you have to run to the bathroom and you get back, you, oh, I'm never going to forget this dream, and you get back in bed and go right to sleep. Okay, no, I have to, I have to say that. I mean, that's the one thing. If I've learned anything mm-hmm. about dreaming, you have to write it down then and there. Absolutely. Because you're not going to remember it. Yeah. Do, it doesn't matter how clear it is, how lucid it is. You're not going to remember it the next day. You have to write it down right then and there. Yep. And and also use your use your iPhone or use your smartphone and record it. Yeah, record it, it whatever good. it is. Yeah. yeah, whatever way of documenting it, but it's yeah. got to be then and, and there. And even if you can't, if you're too tired to even do that, if you just jot down a few words or make a little quick little drawing or something, that'll sometimes bring bring back the memory. memory. Right. But 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 I do know uh, there's a few things that I've seen happen with myself and with others, and that is once you decide it's important to remember your dream, it kind of wakes up this part of yourself. People will have a private session with me or come to a dream group or come to a workshop, and they'll say, oh, I don't remember my dreams. And then all of a sudden they'll say, oh, I had a dream just the night before I came to the workshop, and it was a really good one. Yep. So what's happening is you're already activating that part where it's it's important there's a lot of times in life where we're really tired where we are working super hard and i certainly have gone and go through phases like that too i find for myself and and i think everyone can start keeping track of their own patterns with this but when i'm working super hard and i've got a ton of things on my mind when i crash when i sleep that night a lot of times i don't remember my dreams yep there's also a correlation I found for myself, and that is if, I, if I'm in bed maybe by 11 and read about a half hour, turn the lights off by about 11.30, I'm pretty sure I'm going to, and, and incubate a dream, which I'll talk about that in a second, yep. um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a dream. But if I'm up till 2 a.m. and I'm working on a problem, I'm on the computer, I'm whatever it is, and then I go to bed and it's beyond a certain time for me personally, I'm just going to sleep and not, I'm just not going to remember a dream. I think that's, that's a really good point because one thing that I've learned is, well, first of all, there are a few points there that I thought were really good. One is just this idea that, um, you know, you say that's it, that's how it works for you. Well, knowing that it, it is going to be probably different for everyone. What kind of spurs that for me, what I've learned, I'm almost guaranteed to have a dream or dreams and remember them vividly if I meditate before I go to bed. Ah, and mm-hmm. I think that to me, that also just makes sense because I've taken the time to stop, calm my mind, open my mind, which I think is probably the biggest element there. And so then I'm almost guaranteed to dream if I meditate and it doesn't have to be that much, you know, it could be 10 minutes. Um, or if I journey, if I journey, then I'm definitely going to, to have dreams as well. Um, but, uh, okay. So that's, Oh, you were going to say something? Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, a couple of things I want to add. Uh, one is dream incubation. Uh, that's where you ask for a dream before you go to sleep. It's it's like a meditation. You you set the stage, you set your tools, you've got your dream journal, you've got your pen, you've got your colored pencils if you like to draw, you've got your, your smartphone, whatever it is, your tools, and you ask for a dream. You and if you have and in your dream journal you can write, you know, tonight I will remember a dream. Simple as that. Or you tonight I want an answer to this problem, or tonight I want to fly, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, now sometimes it takes a while for that to start working. Maybe it's two weeks before you remember a dream, but if you just do that, it's going to wake it up. It, 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 and you, so there's some persistence and, and then it, 
there's one other thing I yeah. wanted to no, say. No, I was yeah. just going to say, because this is in line with what yeah. you're talking about, that I always compare it to being like a muscle. Yes. You know, the more you use it, and the using can be setting the intention, which is what you're setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting the, the whole setup right, but just putting it into practice. And the more you do those things, those different things, going to bed at the right time, maybe meditating, having a journal ready, most of all, perhaps setting the intention, then it starts to happen. And the more you do it, at least in my experience, the more the more it happens. So again, I always compare yeah. it to a muscle. Sort of. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so important. And um, the other thing I think, that's important is to make it fun you know it's not a job we're we're doing this already we're natural dreamers so it's not like we have to try hard to dream because we're already doing it we just want to you know with everything in life we don't want to make it so hard and Mm -hmm. and make it fun and so if we expand on that idea and we think about different levels of consciousness that are around sleep there's the hypnagogic state and the hypnopompic state. Whoa. So the, Those are big ones. And these are important. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. you don't have to remember the terms. Okay, but good. There's no quiz afterwards? No quiz. Okay, good. <laughs> but the hypnagogic state is where um, it's that little thin layer of consciousness that's between when you're awake and you get in bed and, it's ju- and, you're, and you're getting ready to fall asleep. It's a super creative time. You'll see... V- images of things you close your eyes you'll see little flashes of light you may see you may hear a voice of something you may see a face you may see a vase show up whatever so that's a form of dreaming and a lot of creativity comes through in that place a lot of artists will play in that zone the other side of that then you're in your sleep mode and then when you're waking up the hypnopompic zone and that's super important. And there's some tricks you can do there because usually it's when we're waking up that we're coming out of a dream that we may be able to catch something. Right. So right. so what I do is I've become familiar with a certain sensation that comes. I call it a whoosh kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's where I'm leaving the world that I've been in, the dream worlds that I've been in, and I'm... I imagine it as re-entering my body, actually. Mm -hmm. It's like a whoosh feeling, and all of a sudden, I'm like moving into this sensation of coming awake. And so what what do you do? What's the practice? The practice is pay attention. Don't move your body. Stay in the same position you were in. And now start scanning. Where am I? Who was I talking to? What was I looking at? What was I... Don't reach for the phone. Nope. Don't, yeah, no and distractions. No distractions. Yep. And, and it's really easy to do like on the weekends when you don't have to set an alarm, right? And then if you have like just an edge of a dream, but you can't quite catch it, but you have something, sometimes putting your body in the same position that you were in in the dream can help bring through some memory of what your experience was. The whole was. muscle memory mm-hmm. idea. Interesting. Um, yeah, because that is another thing that I was going to say that I've noticed is if I... When I'm in situations where I can wake up slowly, then I also have a much greater chance of actually recalling the dreams versus the alarm goes off and I've got to be somewhere. Or again, even just looking at my phone, if I look at my phone just because all of a sudden then I'm thinking about whatever's on the phone. Yes. And so I'm just distracted from the dreams, which I only have that those few seconds or minute or two, whatever it might be to actually capture them. And so for me, waking up slowly and just, I love the idea of um, getting into the same position. I hadn't really thought of that and the whole muscle, the the corporal connection there, the mind body connection um, there, that part makes sense. Okay. So unless you have anything else specific about that. Okay. 
So, again, sticking primarily with um, the the nighttime dreams. How did you had a good term for those? Sp- spontaneous, the spontaneous sleep, sleep dreams. dreams. Uh-huh. The spontaneous sleep dreams. So I have been. Let's just say I listened to Jane on Matthew's podcast, and I followed her advice. And now it's a week later, and I just had this intense dream. Um, and so, but because I haven't studied a lot about dreaming, I'm going to go to my dream dictionary and I see that the heart means love. And I see that, you know, there's, I I assume it was kind of Freud who made those really clear cut connections between this symbol and that. I don't know a lot about psychology. You could speak more to that, but, um, that's one way, you know, that's the way that like when I was a kid, that's how we interpreted dreams, right? The symbols were really obvious and you just kind of map the symbols, but in my experience, in your workshops and Robert's workshops, you know, it's not actually that straightforward. So, again, I'm someone who's listening to this. I followed your advice. I have this great, juicy dream. Um, how would I interpret that? How would I go about finding meaning in that? Ah, that's a great question, too. You have good questions. <laughs> hey, I did my homework. And I've cheated because I've, you know, I've, I've already done a few of your workshops. So, I, I should know the good questions, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, um There are various layers of dream interpretation. And pulling out the dream dictionary is is that it's better, you know, most most researchers say just throw those away. But in my opinion, it's better than nothing just because it's giving some kind of attention to the dream. Mm -hmm. But one of the things to think about with those symbols, those dream dictionaries is, you know, say... Um, I have a dream about a horse, and I'm really afraid of horses. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm in waking life, I'm not. But say for I example, am. right? And then, and Matthew, you have a dream about horses, and you love horses. So that symbol is going to have a different meaning for you than right. it is for me. Right. And that's like super, super straightforward. Um, there's different layers of meaning in the dream, and I can get a little bit involved with uh, in, with with this. Go there, if you like. Okay. Go there, girlfriend. All right. Go there. <laughs> if we if we go too deep and we're running, you know, short on time, I'll I'll uh, okay. try to nudge you along. But yeah, let's just yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Great. I and I can give a very short dream um, example. So, so first of all, uh, there's different layers of interpretation, and it and depending on the school of thought that you belong to your layer of interpretation is going to reflect what your knowledge base is and what your belief system is. So if I'm a Freudian, and we know Freud was really interested in the sexual symbols in dreams. Then every time I there's a umbrella or in, you know a snake or yeah, right, you know right. we've got all these phallic symbols. Right. And and then there's a, you know all these symbols that Freud like. Now m- every culture has a way of looking at dreams, and different cultures have specific meanings for dreams. I learned also in Bali researching dreaming there. Mm-hmm. That if you're in a particular culture, you're going to have certain meanings that you ascribe that symbol to. Um, so, so there is something to that in in certain cultural contexts. Yes. there are certain symbols that probably you probably do have that association mm-hmm. because you grew up in that culture. Exactly. So there is actually something to that potentially. And yeah. Yes, and anytime you work with a dreamer, you have to hold their culture in context. Mm-hmm. So there now, a dream. We look at the dream, the symbols in the dream, or the dream experience from different levels. So one of the really basic levels is day residue. You know, 
what happened in my day? You know, I went to a birthday party and had chocolate cake last week, and now I'm dreaming of eating chocolate cake. So you say, oh, that doesn't have any meaning. It's, it's uh, just, you know, I did it that week. Well, we're attending, you know, in my master's degree in consciousness studies, I'm really interested in how we attend to how we're conscious and how we are scanning and perceiving things without even realizing it. Yep. So here we are, we're moving through our worlds and we're picking up all these symbols. We're, we're moving through a, a world of symbols all the time. And then we have a dream. And so it's like, yeah, it's day residue. It's the chocolate cake, you know. But why that particular dream? Why that particular image? Why did I dream that instead of, oh, that I was walking up the stairs to visit a friend or, you know. Well, I often dream of chocolate. Yeah. So that, was that, that, that one's actually pretty easy to understand. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as it, when we, the way that I work with dreams and many people is that we, we work our way through these layers of interpretation. So we start with that. And then we go to what's the psycho psychology, the personal psychology, the, the level of what the, the dreamer is experiencing in their, in their lives, their challenges and their joys and the things they're sorting out in their psyche that reflect their personal life. That's the next level. Then another level is, um, is what are the archetypal symbols? And Carl Jung is the one who um, brought this to our attention, is that there are certain symbols that are seen throughout every culture, the archetypal symbols. So, for example, every, every culture has a, a mother and child. And, and it's an energetic symbol. When you see that symbol, you get an emotional response to it, mm -hmm. and you also even get a bodily response to it. It may, it, it may cause a relaxation response. It may not, but you get a certain response. Same thing, maybe I see a symbol of um, a warrior that you get a certain uh, response to that. So those are archetypal. Some, and then there's other things like the feeling of love, feeling of of resentment, that whatever. Are all, they're common to all or almost all cultures. They're common saying. to right. all cultures. Right. We, we all experience these things. And they're more than something we're just thinking of in our cognitive part of ourselves. There are symbols that we can meditate on and think about, but they're also uh, visceral experiences, and I think that's really important. So in the dream, we have you know our personal psychology, our personal stuff we're working on. Now we're also getting into archetypal symbols that are found in all cultures. And if you're somebody who likes to look at books to look up dream symbols, I don't recommend a traditional dream dictionary but I do recommend a, a, a resource for these archetypal symbols. What does this culture say about this symbol? What does that culture say about that symbol? Now we're getting into something that is uh, perceiving the world from a much greater um, level than our everyday life. And it seems like mythology mm -hmm. is kind of coming in here into this part of the conversation as well. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. That's that's what mythology is. Mythology is uh, myth. The myths are dreams of a culture um, and our personal dreams are our personal dreams. So so that's another layer. Now we're going a little deeper. We go a little deeper into the dream. Um, what is our, the shamanic level of that dream? How are those symbols? Perhaps it's a, um, my dear friend Doris passed recently three months shy of her, of her 105th birthday. Oh, wow. She was, wow. lived a good life and she was completely cognizant the whole way through. Good for her. So, um, 
so what brought me there? Where was I? Oh, going deeper. Shamanic, the shamanic yes. level. So yep. now we go into what is a, maybe it's a visitation dream. Maybe I have a dream about Doris. So here's an example, short dream. Mm, I think she passed about seven weeks ago, about two weeks ago. I, I had just a snippet of a dream. I'm an observer, a witness. I'm not engaging in anything. I'm just observing Doris. She's younger. She's not young, young, but she's younger than 105. (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh Sure, sure. And she's in this European, small European town. Now, Doris was Sicilian American, Mm. grew up in San Francisco. Um, And and I I knew her for 50 years. She was my best friend's mom. So she was like my other mom. So... um, I see Doris walking into an old-fashioned European-style delicatessen, a deli. One like you'd see in Sicily, I would think. And I just see her going in, and I know that she's going to get some salami. And there were many times growing up and hanging out at at Doris's house where we had salami. (laughs) We love salami. And so that was my dream. So what is that dream? How do I look at that from a level of interpretation in these various levels? Well, one thing is, you know, maybe I was hungry and I've been kind of not eating salami these days because of the <laughs> cholesterol thing, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, there's, oh, I, and, and then there's the memory, my personal associations with Doris and the memory of eating deli food salami with her. So um, the healing piece is I see Doris in the other in, on the other side the shamanic side it, it's um i know she's okay i mm-hmm. i it's come a away reassurance yes and so it's a visitation dream i've just dreamed and maybe i've caught a glimpse of what she's experiencing on the other side i don't know the answer to that but a part of me feels that and so it's very healing yep the archetypal side you know the the walking into a place to get good food and to nourish the soul that's an archetypal situation so mm-hmm. and so we've got all these levels that are in play at the same time yep. and they're all true at the same time we don't have to say oh it's about this but it's not about that well really in to me it's about all of them well it's about all of them and also couldn't couldn't you also um sort of trust what resonates most for you if you have to sort of choose because that's how sometimes I you know let's say I do wake up and I've had three dreams or I've had one particularly long one that was really intense but there's so much going on it's almost hard to parse out what matters and what doesn't I usually just kind of go with my gut and just well what part of that or which of the three dreams or which part of that one long dream is really calling out to me Mm -hmm. and and kind of focus on that um, as a way of sort of I don't know, just figuring out, okay, what, what if, if there is a message here, if there's something I'm yeah. supposed to be paying attention to, like you said, it could be everything, all of those four layers, or maybe there's one thing that I really need to focus on, I really need to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that speaks to the, first of all, that every the expert on, on a dream is not an expert. The expert on the dream meaning in your life is the dreamer. Mm-hmm. I can never and I don't ever tell a dreamer what their dream means, but what we can do is share, well, I would think about this if it were my dream and this is what works for me. And right. so I'll say that a lot. And so I love that. What And the other thing um, that's important with dreaming is, you know, there's a the very large school of thought that I believe in also is that dreams, 
dreams come to show us things we don't already know. Mm-hmm. So when I come out of a dream and I know that I've, I'm, there's one part of the dream that's more important than another part, and I'm paying more attention to that, which everybody does because you'd be, you wouldn't have time to, you know, go about your day. So much to process, right? Yes. Right. Um, that, whatever that piece is, I'm getting a, p- a part of it. And then the beauty of doing dream work with someone else, as you know, is then we get to expand on what I didn't know, what's going to come through. Which is a perfect segue. Because I want to talk a little bit, because now we've, we've just talked about, okay, I'm having these um, spontaneous nighttime dreams. Is that what you called it? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Or spontaneous I, sleep dreams. No, that's what it was. I yeah. knew I was almost <laughs> there and not quite there. So we usually come at night. Yeah, exactly. So we <laughs> talked about this spontaneous yeah. sleep dreams. Wait, is that it? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Okay. <laughs> um, but, um, and how we can interpret those sort of as individuals. But then there's also this whole discipline that we've kind of referred to a little bit indirectly or even directly, I guess, uh, which is the dream work. And that often does involve other people. So there's the one thing of I can go and I can have my journal and I can look at it and think about it and maybe get some other references to help me interpret. Uh, but then there's dream work, which is kind of bigger and likely oftentimes involves other people. So can you speak to kind of that angle mm-hmm. of things? Yeah, there's a lot of different levels of dream work. And so um, when we work with someone else, uh, there's a variety of ways that you can you can um, you can do that. You can uh, attend a dream group and I'll, and we can talk about what that means. Um, or you can go to a workshop, which is a little bit different. And then you can also uh, uh, have a one on one consultation with somebody who is um, a dream specialist. Yep. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the dream specialist is a is a psychologist, by the way. Uh, there are a lot of psychologists who do dream work, but it's not exclusively that domain. Yep. And for people who are not really that interested in, in personal psychology, what it does is it opens up possibilities in some other ways, in, in creative ways and mm. other ways of, and artistic ways. You can work with dreams um, in an artistic way also. So tell, yeah, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So in the workshops, you know, one thing that really surprised me and that really resonated with me um, that I wouldn't have necessarily even, you know, thought would necessarily resonate with me was there is a lot of art and theater and that's a lot more than just talking about your dreams. That's obviously a big part of it and that's the crux of it. But there's a lot of other kind of stuff going on in these workshops and presumably also even in one-on-one sessions. I assume you do the same kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that people wouldn't necessarily suspect and that really sheds a lot of interesting light on the dreams in a way, again, that you might not be able to do just on your own. So can you talk to some of the activities and approaches that you mm-hmm. take in, in the workshops and, and the yes. sessions? So I, I want to particularly talk about Robert Moss's workshops because those are the ones that um, I'm, I am a teacher of Robert Moss's active dreaming techniques and the workshops are, uh, let's specifically talk about Robert's workshops since that's what we're both very familiar right. with. Right. And in my own workshops, I use those same techniques, but we'll focus on what we've seen in Robert's workshops. Sure, sure. And um, so, yeah, there are, let me backtrack just a little bit. I've studied with some of the most amazing dream workers in the world. I'm so grateful because of my graduate 
um, degree, my two graduate degrees, four years of studying dreams and consciousness, I was able to. I'm jealous. Uh, I'm jealous that you got to spend four years, like really, you know, really getting into the nitty gritty. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a gift really, really. Um, so I've seen a lot of different ways that people work with dreams and, um, so there's a lot of benefit that you can have in a sitting around talking setting. I've seen excellent dream work happen that way. Uh, but the work that we have experienced together in Robert Moss's workshops is more active than that. Mm-hmm. So I, wanted, I just want to give a nod to all the various types of, of dream work that's out there and, and the, the skills of different um, practitioners or yeah right, specialists also yeah. but but my heart and your heart is with the more active dreaming and it's called active dreaming robert moss's uh, techniques so it's not sitting around talking very much we're we're getting up and what what we do is we we have a few different techniques that are really core techniques that are always present several techniques and one of them is is uh the lightning dream work uh, process or game Robert is, calls it the lightning dream or game uh, and that's where there's a, a set of questions and a way of holding an inquiry into dreams that provides an opportunity to talk about the dreams and maybe we can do an example of that later you know what I know yeah. I really I looked because like I said I haven't had that many dreams lately yeah. I really wanted to bring a good dream today yes. and, 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 and you know play the game um, we can still do a variation on that, but I couldn't find a good one. I didn't have time to go back far enough to when I was having more yeah. dreams, but yeah, oh, we'll okay. do some variation. And on that. dream snippets are our friends too. We love dream snippets, <laughs> fragments. Yeah. We love them. Yep. So, so the other part of that, so anytime you, uh, share a dream in, in a setting with someone else, um, the first thing that that's most important is to know that it's sacred. This is really important. And, and in any dream sharing setting, it's it's um, it's confidential, right? Whatever okay, so happens. That's what you mean by sacred. Yeah. Sacred, yeah, and also it's held as the, this deep part of ourselves coming through. So w- nobody's ever going to look at that and and think that's silly or anything, right? Right, right. right. Um, and so some of the techniques. So that that's the first thing is there's a safety factor that's super important. If you're working one on one with a dream practitioner, you're going to get into a really deeply personal. Uh, inquiry. If you're working in a group setting, you're not going to go there because you don't want everybody, you know, you want to maintain okay. your privacy. You may or may not go there because I have broken down repeatedly <laughs> sobbing at these workshops yeah. and that's not something I normally do, which again, though, to me, that's one of the reasons I've gone back and, and I'm yeah. so enthusiastic about it is because Again, and, and I'm, I'm caught off guard every time it happens. It doesn't happen every time, but it's happened a few times. And But it just speaks to the fact that even though I'm in a group of people, or you know, that I could still feel that safe and go that deep and really touch on whatever the thing might be that I'm touching on the issue, the memory, um, what have you. But anyway, so I just yeah. I just had to comment on yeah. that because even <laughs> though it is a group setting, sometimes you actually, you, you do end up, go quote there. unquote, going there. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And I love that because um, that's like, to me, that's like you get the prize. When you touch deep emotion, right. you know, deep emotions are our friends, right? And that's a sensation of healing when we go there. But um, but also in a setting like that, you, you go to your edges, but you don't go to where it's too uncomfortable, right? right? right. So there's a way of monitoring that. 
Um, but, but I think the most important thing to think about, too, in the processes is that we're going back inside the dreams. And we do that by sharing the dreams with each other, by uh, talking about them, if we're going to do that. We do it by doing art, dream art, if we're going to draw an image that came and then share that with each other. We do that by dream theater, where we go back, we, we act out the dream, and then we have an opportunity to dream the dream further, create a further um, progress of the dream. And all of those things help us go into the dream and, and actively engage with it. And we're actually dreaming further when we're doing that. Mm -hmm. And there's something really important I want to say about that too. When you're in a setting where you, other people are sharing their dreams, a dream group, a dream workshop, Maybe you're not sharing your dream but and somebody else is sharing theirs. But whatever shows up for the group has something for everybody. Mm -hmm. That dream that's being shared, you're going to find some part of yourself that's really moved by it or you get an insight. And that idea of getting that aha moment, that moment of epiphany, that, I believe, is the actual sensation of something healing in the psyche. Hmm, interesting. I like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, God, there's so much more to say there. Um, but I think what I want to do in the interest of time is, because you've mentioned this a couple times, you mentioned this in the beginning, and you just touched on it as we were, as we were going through the, um, the dream work itself, is just this notion of, of healing and the healing impact that the dreams can have. And I have certainly witnessed that, 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 and again, that's part of why I'm so passionate about it as well. Um, but one area that you specifically focus on is healing trauma. And so can you tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with trauma? And it's interesting because like you said, you're not a psychotherapist. You do have a psychology background, but you're not a psychotherapist. This isn't a replacement for that. And yet there is nonetheless a huge benefit that can come from dream works, uh, from dream work and working through different kinds of trauma. Can, so mm -hmm. you, can you speak to how that's one of the, um, the areas that you focus Ooh, on? That's a big area. Yes, absolutely. Um, on purpose, I didn't get a, uh, my, uh, therapist license uh -huh. um, because the way that I work I want to be able to push the boundaries a little bit um, and what happens is in the field of psychology uh, there's not enough time to specifically, for most therapists, specifically study dreams. Jungian therapists study dreams a lot, um, but to uh, have the opportunity to study from a lot of different angles, you have to go outside of what you typically learn in school as a mm, therapist. Mm -hmm. um, I will not work with someone who is in, in deep trauma without... A therapist also working. Oh, interesting. Um, so you'll do it sometimes in conjunction with yes, the therapist. Then. Yes. Uh, interesting. Um, and so what I do is an adjunct to that. And and having also experienced uh, a variety of traumas in my life and a lot of uh, psychotherapy and various uh, therapeutic modalities, um, I am a cheerleader for therapists, I, for psychologists. I really believe in it. So I think that's really important. Yeah, it we, was more just a question of how you wanted to focus and right. what kind of work you wanted to do. Yeah, so yeah. I wanted to just disclaim that just sure. a little bit because um, what I found in my own life is that, and with people I work with, is that sometimes we can get a visceral healing moment that will come through in even just one dream session. 
and that can create a shift. We still want to understand the mechanics of what's going on in our lives, and we still want to work on the things that we need to work on to be a whole person. Bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. But there, there are these moments where doing a session of dream work or going to a, a dream group and then packing a dream or a workshop, you'll have this shift and that doesn't go away. It's like the shift, you know, that you've shifts that you've had and me too. I'm going to give an example of um, <clears throat> there was a client who contacted me uh, whose daughter was having a very hard time. Um, she was a teenager and she had had a horrifying dream. And there were um, family things that were going on in the family. I want to be careful how I share sure, this story. Sure. There were things that were going on in the family and there were there was a therapist working with with the family and um, and but this one particular uh, beautiful young teenager woke up from a terrible terrible nightmare and um, she uh, went into crisis and her mother asked if I would work with her and so we did one dream session together um, with this young young teenager and one of the things that, that was really important for her were, were a, a couple of things. But one was that you're not responsible for the imagery that comes through in a spontaneous night dream. In other words, yes, we are responsible for working with it if we choose to do that. But our, our psyche, our dreaming self is going to speak to us usually in, in uh, images and those images can be very, very graphic and very horrifying. And so when you have a recurring nightmare or a terrible nightmare, one of the ways to help resolve the bad emotion and the bad feelings and the bad stuff around that is to find a way to access that uh, nightmare and create a new ending. But, but just briefly going back to um, this other important point, it's... Uh, the this uh, young beautiful young girl was uh, was uh, emotionally beating herself up because she had that dream and she felt guilty for having the dream right Sounds like how yeah. could I dream that this stuff it. happened yeah. to my family was essentially you know and and these kind of dreams show up a lot they're not unusual so once she understood that it's okay it that dream is not doesn't mean that you are a terrible person. It means that something is trying to communicate. And that's it needs to get out. It needs and, to get out. Yeah, and it yeah. needs to and it, it it yeah, it needs some kind of a energetic release. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And so one of the ways to work with that is to um is to in a way that's safe and and I can't really say how to do that here, but there's there are ways of going back to a nightmare and creating a new ending mm -hmm. with the imagination and then letting that new ending fuel a moment of transformation and growth in the individual. And usually when you work with a nightmare and you have that moment, what will happen is sooner or later that epiphany will come. There'll be that, ah, that it's like a release. You can feel it. It's, right. a, it's a mental and it's a physical sensation. When that comes, then that's the healing moment. Mm -hmm. And then there, and, and I found that often, the, uh, even with recurring nightmares, they, they don't come back. Mm -hmm. Because we've, we've, we've come to find a message. We, we need to get to the message. And we also need to get to the resolution of the dream. And if you think of a nightmare as an unfinished dream, 
it's a story and we wake up when it's the most difficult part of the story. Mm. So if we use our imagination to create a new ending, and there are ways to do that where it's not terribly frightening for the dreamer. Right. Because those dreams are frightening. This yep. is a real experience. Yep. Um, there are ways to do that where they're held safe and secure and they have and they can they can touch that place. Um, it's going to change that ending. There's also something about a, a, a neurological component to this. It's creating a new um, pathway. pathway. Neural pathway. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Where now I'm not stuck and going back and back and back in my thoughts, back to that, back to that, back to that. Now I can bring my thoughts to this better ending, to this resolution. I'm not stuck with no power. I have power as a dreamer. Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's... I was going to say that's why it's so powerful, but that's really redundant. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not yeah. going to say that. I didn't yeah. say that. Um, but actually, speaking of power, I was just looking at my notes here, and this is a bit of a tangent. But on your website, I saw so many great examples that I didn't know about, historic examples of how dreaming, because a lot of what we're talking about here is bringing dreams into our day-to-day lives. And I think that's also part of the connection here. You were talking about taking the nightmares and, you know, working them in our waking lives and, and so that we, we have, you know, the resolution or we work through what we need to work through. But another angle of bringing the dreams into our day-to-day lives and transforming not only ourselves, but the world are some of the historic uh, people who have done what they've done because of dreams. Can you think of, I'm putting you on the spot and this is from your website. Can you think of some of those examples? Because there's some good ones. And if you can't, I'll help you because I'm looking <laughs> at my notes. Tell me, actually, I'll give you, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh-huh. um, I'm going to prompt you. Okay. Tell me about, um, this guy's not maybe as famous, but this is a great one. Gem Hunter, the Gem Hunter. Hater Dimas Barbosa in Brazil. Oh, yeah. That was a pretty good oh, one. Oh, I wrote that blog a long time ago. Yeah. I did my research. Yes, very good. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, there. I'm always interested in dreams and gems as a gemologist. Right, you know, right. What could be more interesting, dreams and gems? I can't think of anything <laughs> more interesting. Um, but many, uh, let's see, I think it was in the, in the 80s. He was convinced that there was going to be a brand new gemstone that had never been found before um, in this particular region in uh, in Brazil, right. and he his neighbors and the people in the village called him kind of crazy because he was digging, digging, prospecting, prospecting. Because well, you said I think that he knew what spot he knew where to dig he, because of a dream he or an had, intuition. He had something. The, it was a feeling yeah. that he had. So it was to me, I see it as more of a waking dream. Yeah, and. Um, so yeah, he he was sure, he was sure, and it was a lot of years. It, did I write how many years it was? Because I'm not remembering. Uh, that part of the let story. me see if I have a how many years, years the poor fellow was digging. I just yeah. no, I just it just says in 1981 he had an irresistible inner knowing, truly awaking dream, yeah. that there was something incredible and never seen before under the earth in this specific right. spot. Yeah. So anyway, he with a lot of people, you know, making fun of him. I I've heard. Uh, he finally discovered it, it's Paraiba tourmaline. It's a tur- it, now tourmaline is found in many places throughout the world, but this particular neon green, neon blue, vibrant color had never been found before. And so I re- he wasn't crazy. He was not crazy. He discovered voice. it. Yeah. And in fact, actually back in the 80s when it was discovered and I was working in the jewelry industry back then, I remember... Uh, you know, it was a few, few couple hundred dollars a carat wholesale for these stones. And those same stones now are in the 
thousands of dollars per carat. Really, really. So they're super rare. They're hard to find. They're did you buy some at the time? No, I wish I had. <laughs> uh-huh. Some people uh-huh. did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're really beautiful, and there's. Um, uh, and I just love the fact that this man had this knowing and and uh, and that knowing led him to really persevere and, and well, really stick it out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons I like that. Well, there are a couple of mm-hmm. reasons I like that story. But the first off the top of my head is just he knew that there was something important. It's not that he knew there was this particular stone or this particular mineral. He just knew, no, there's something there that I have to dig for. Yes. I mean, the fact that it's kind of that vague and yet the message which completely irrational. There's no logic there, but he just had this in his heart or his gut so strongly that in spite of the fact that everyone around him is calling him crazy, he's like, no, I know there's something there. I don't even know what it is. I just know it's worth digging for years to find it. And then he actually finds it. I mean, that's pretty cool. Never mind again, this, this, this notion that he was so in tune to his inner voice. And yeah. he gave such faith to his inner voice because it's one thing to hear it because, you know, my novel is actually about a young Spaniard's awakening to his intuition. And one of the things that he really goes through is, first of all, you have to start hearing the inner voice, the intuition. But then once you're hearing it, you still have a choice whether to actually believe it and then whether to to believe it, have faith in it, which to me is kind of a, like the next step, but then act on it. So this poor guy in Brazil, who hopefully is not poor because he did find the mineral, um, did all of those things. And I just I just thought that was a great story because yeah. of this waking dream. I love that. Yeah. And that and that action piece is so big, you know, and that's why when we have a dream journal, we want to review our dream journal because there's going to be information in there that's going to serve us. And if you're at all interested in predictive dreams, in intuition which is our next agenda item there's a nice intuitive segue (laughs) yeah yeah when you start reviewing your dream journals you're going to start finding things that will be um intuitive knowings that have come through in the dreams everybody has their own pattern for that i found in reviewing my own dream journals i have about a two-week uh Lag time. Lag time between <laughs> interesting between having a dream that is going to refer to something that's going to unfold in my waking life. That's so interesting that yeah. you can actually sort of time it like that. And that, that brings up a couple things for me. One is this notion that um, what I found with my dream journals is I forget the dreams I've had. And so if you don't review them, if you don't review your journals, then you might miss the fact that you had this premonition. Or whether it's a premonition or not, you might miss insight that you just kind of had forgotten about. Because again, if you're writing these dreams when you wake up, um, then you don't necessarily think about them again. So I do find, like you just said, that it is really worthwhile, whether it's to find the premonitions or whether it's to find other insight. Um, Cause there's so much in, my, in there that you can yeah. easily just forget about. And they're so entertaining. And they're what very entertaining. What could be more entertaining <laughs> than your own dreams? Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. I, I mean, they're super fascinating. The other thing, and this is when Robert Moss taught, I just love this, you know, uh, bibliomancy is using a book to, as an oracle, as yes. a, as a fortune telling device. And, and I found using old dream journals, like ask a question, what's my question? And then you just randomly grab a dream journal and open it up at random. Yes. And the message that actually originally came from you in the first place. Uh-huh. Super cool. Yeah. Fun game. It's very cool. But yeah. let's talk a little bit more about premonitions. So, uh, off the top of your head again putting you on the spot but you're really good at, at going with it any really clear like i can't believe i had that premonition that still stand out for you from from the past or is it just kind of an ongoing thing you have premonitions occasionally they're not necessarily 
you know, ones that would come off the top of your head. Is there anything that, that comes well, to mind? Some, I have a bunch of really wonky ones. Okay, give us a wonky one. Um, so the, this was about the same period when I, uh, well, actually, this is, this is, the, the, it's, this is a, uh, it's going to be a little bit, a <laughs> little bit, maybe a little bit sad story, but not too sad. You know what? We like the full range of All emotions right, here is, on Matthew Felix. Yeah, yeah the this full is, range of emotions. <laughs> I just got done <laughs> admitting you. that I sobbed at three different, uh, <laughs> dream workshops in front of 30 people. So yeah, yeah, we can be a little sad as well. Okay. Good. Okay. So, um, reviewing old dream journals. Yep. Back in 1989, my dad passed. Mm -hmm. And that was long before I discovered anything called dream work. But I was still keeping journals and keeping and writing dreams down in my journals. And he passed and he, he lived. I, I had only seen him four times in the last 10 years of his life. Okay. And he didn't live. He, he lived on the other side of the country. And um, so when he passed, my dad was a military man, and it was and in the week, six months or so before he actually he had an, a heart attack on the ninth hole of the golf course. Oh my gosh! Evidently, he was having a great game, though. Well, you know, I guess if you love golf, that's a good place yeah, for it to happen. Yeah. Well, I guess it, 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 it's actually that's where he passed, or that's that where he, yeah. oh, that's actually where he passed. Yes. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. So that's where he passed. So I didn't have time in my life to uh, resolve some of the things that you know. That we that we could have resolved while he was still living. While he was still living, and so, um, and six months or so before this happened, he called me and he said, "You know, make sure when I die that my ashes make it to Arlington Cemetery. This is the most important thing. I, you're going to be the person in charge, and I want you to do that." Yep. And I was like, "Going, oh, Dad, you know, I was like brushing it off, you know." You weren't ready to think about that yet. No, and I yeah. I was a lot younger. I if I knew then what I know now, right? Right. So anyway. He passed, and then um, it's about, mm, I think, uh, probably six months after he passed or so, I had a dream that I had inherited this dilapidated old mansion from him. And there's all these stories going on in all these rooms, but the, the main thing that really came through in the dream was, like you were saying, there'll be something that really stands out. Right. Well, in the courtyard of, of this mansion, his house, was a... Um, was one of those old uh, marble, big marble statues that they have at cemeteries, you know, that people had do the big memorial statue Yeah, thing. the old old school ones. Yes. Yep. And, um, and it had a name plaque on it, and it had the initial C, Howard Taft on it. And so my dad, my last name is Carlton. My dad's last name was Carlton. So it's C, Howard Taft. And I write it down, even make a little sketch in my journal. And I was like, I have no idea what this means. Yeah. And it, But I even wrote in the journal, one day I'm going to know what this is about. You knew that yeah, there was something, something to this. Yeah. yeah, it had some juiciness to it. So um, now before I go any further, I will say that because he lived on the other side of the country, his, his uh, fourth wife... Uh, said that she would make sure that she got his ashes shipped to Arlington Cemetery. So I assumed that had been done. Sure. But it was my job to make sure, and I had not followed up. <sighs> so and it's now, you know, another nine months or so after the dream, and I, by chance I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. for a, a museum four days with a friend, and I thought, well, I'll go to Arlington Cemetery, and I'll put flowers on my dad's 
place, wherever his thing is. Because you're thinking that it's there, but it, they're not there yet? All this time I think the ashes are there. You're thinking that there. the ashes are there. Yeah. Right, right. So I kind of jumped ahead in my story. But anyway, I'm standing in line with my flowers. And I'm my friend Leslie's with me. And we're, you, in those days, they didn't have computers. It was microfiche. So, you, that, you know, you look it up in the little gadget there to find out which plot is his plot, you right. know, or his little nook for his ashes. And I'm standing in line and I look up and I see this big photograph, frame photograph on the wall of the same memorial uh, statue thing that I had dreamed. And it said, William, it was William Howard Taft's memorial. Uh-huh. And remember, my dream was C. Howard Taft. Right, right. So I'm, so I get up to the counter. I was like, where's my dad? You know, it's like, oh, he's not here. And I have several people try to look it up. He's not here. Now I'm just like, whoa, where are his ashes? Right, right. Are they lost in shipping somewhere? Are they in somebody's garage? And shortly after he died, his fourth wife had remarried and disappeared. I never knew what her last name was. She was gone. So I had you no, never even knew what, oh, the new last name. The new last name for right, her, right, yeah, right, right, and, right. you know, family stuff, right? Right, right. So um, now I'm there, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, where are the ashes? It was my responsibility, you know. And um, so I- anyway, it turns out that the ashes were there. It took a year for me to do research to figure this out and to find someone to help me oh, wow. by, by writing and calling different, you know, funeral places and all this stuff right right tracking them down yeah i know it's a little morbid isn't it but anyway it turns out the ashes were there but they had his name wrong instead Um. of john initial r carlton they had and it's c-a-r-l-e-t-o-n they had john t carrollton they had switched the e and the l Uh and they hadn't figured that out with the microfiche and so finally that was figured out so the dream was interesting because first of all it tells me c for carrollton howard taft at this arlington cemetery but also c as a pun c as in c to this right go there right and get my name fixed and it was all about the name plaque yeah so, yeah. so I haven't gone back, but I've been told and I got <laughs> letters saying that it has you been You have official fixed. confirmation. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so th- we just had to fix the name at Arlington. So. Well, I'm glad you did. Yeah. I'm glad it worked and out. I, and I think <laughs> I haven't had any more of those dreams since then, so I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, okay. So let's look ahead here because we're out of time. But uh, I want to know, you know, what you have, um, what you have coming up, because I know I believe we've talked about Robert a few times and I did see on your um, website that he's coming in October, I think. Is that he when is going to be here? Yes. Yeah. October 25th and 26th, I think it is the weekend, 25th, Saturday, Sunday, Berkeley. The information's on my website and I'm the uh, contact person. So if anybody's interested, send me, call me or, or send an email and yep. I'll, and then for my own work, I, uh, I have a regular dream group in my office in Walnut Creek. It's small. We keep it nice and small. So if you would like to come, you know, let me know. And, and you said regular. Is that weekly or monthly? About, or about every two weeks. Every two in weeks. the summertime, uh-huh. it, it spreads out to about every three weeks. But yeah. And so uh, next one's coming up next Sunday. Oh, so people yeah. have time to, uh, to get there. Yeah. Put it on their calendars. Exactly. All right. And uh, and then also I do do uh, private consultations. I do a lot of I do Skype sessions. Yeah, and I saw phone that. Sessions yeah. and, and it works beautifully. I saw that you yeah. even do uh, 
email sessions, which is interesting. Yeah. How, how, do, how do you do it over email? Yeah. Well, you know, those are those. Uh, that's not my favorite not way main, of working. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I do have people who will send me a dream and I'll I'll send when when it's not possible to talk. Usually that's somebody who who, you know, I have a lot of friends and people or, who live in Bali and Australia and different places. So sometimes email is a little easier to connect. So, right. right. Yeah. Jane, I loved having you here today. There's so much more. I'd love to go deeper on a lot of the stuff that we talked about. But um, since this was your first time on, and I know that a lot of my listeners probably haven't, you know, done dream work before. So I wanted to kind of do a touch on as many aspects as we could. So for me, this was great. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And I would love to have you on again, again, to, uh, to talk more about this stuff. And so good luck with the workshops, with the, um, with the dream evenings and your practice. And, uh, I look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. I'd love to come back. All right. Thank you, Matthew. We'll make that happen. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of uh, people who are going to be on next week, Jennifer Chapin from Cynthia Sisters is going to be on the show. And Cynthia, or sorry, wait, Cynthia Sisters. Yeah, Cynthia Sisters. I had uh, Cynthia's dream in my notes because uh, we've been talking about dreams. So that's a typo. But Cynthia's Sisters is an organization that helps give all women in the Democratic Republic of Congo a legal future by providing scholarships to outstanding female law students. So when I heard about that organization, I, that just sounded great. So uh, I really look forward to having them and having Jennifer specifically on to talk about Cynthia's sisters. Uh, the following week, Alan Bates from Borderlands Bookstore here in San Francisco will be on, and Borderlands is an independent bookstore. And I wanted to have him on. I've tried to get few independent bookstores on and I finally thought you know I should I should do a Borderlands because I heard that they they're doing something that quite a few bookstores it's indie indie bookstores seem to be doing now which is finding original um um resourceful unique ways of of continuing you know in this in this crazy crazy publishing climate that that we now live in and they have a model that seems to be really working well and so i want to hear the borderlands story how they are continuing to move forward and they're also moving into a new space so i'm curious to hear about that as well so that's uh two weeks from today thanks again to today's guest jane carlton i did not say this in her intro Although I think I, I just skipped over it, but oh, that's because I was having all the, the technical issues and I got flustered. But her website, I definitely don't want to uh, close without giving you her website. It's yourdreamingself.com is Jane's website. So again, that's where you can sign up for the October Robert Moss workshop. You can sign up for one-on-one -on -one sessions for dream evenings with, um, with Jane and all the rest. So yourdreamingself.com. And last but certainly not least, thank you for watching. Uh, if you liked the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and all the rest. That's the only way that the word gets out, and I really appreciate the help. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com, and links to my social media, podcast, books, and all the rest can be found there. And if you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening, and have a great week. <laughs>